Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's first of all look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for giving us this great book. Lord, we marvel in what you have spoken to us and what you have taught us. Teach us, precious Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now if you follow along in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Beer La Haroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael, and Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now, this chapter focuses on two ladies, Sarah and Hagar, and how they both went wrong. The chapter opened in verse 1 with these two ladies. We see them there in Genesis 16:1, where it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. So here was a problem for Sarah. We see now Sarah, Abram's wife, bear him no children. That was the problem. And here was an opportunity that should not have been done, but it was there where it says in verse one, and she had a handmaid whose name was Hagar. Now the next verse in our chapter reveals how Sarah was wrong in an unspoken opinion. Because in verse two it says, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. Now from Sarah's wrong, unspoken opinion, this terrible plan was hatched. And the terrible plan was Sarah's proposal to fix the problem caused by God. This was Sarah's plan to solve the problem caused by God. The plan to solve the problem caused by God is given in verse two where she said, I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And from that point, everything went bad. Verse two, and Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. But everything went wrong because Sarah had this unspoken opinion when she said, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. See, Sarah had a wrong opinion. It was unspoken. What was Sarah's unspoken wrong opinion? What Sarah said was not wrong. When she said, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. 
That was true. God was holding Sarah back from having children. Sarah wanted to obtain children. And as we've seen, the word that she used for the word obtain in verse 4 is the word bana, which means to build. It's normal. It's good for a wife to want to build her family by having children. And what Sarah said was true when she said in verse 2, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. But what Sarah was really saying, without saying the words, was her opinion of, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from something good. This was all about what Sarah thought was good. Sarah was saying it was good for her to build her family right then. And therefore, God was restraining her from good. Sarah was saying it was good for her to give birth to children. Therefore, God was restraining her from good. See, it's with this therefore of what Sarah did not say where Sarah went wrong. Was it true what Sarah said when she said in Genesis 16 2, Behold now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing? Yes, that was true. God had restrained Sarah from bearing. Everyone knew that God either opens or he closes the wombs. And we're going to see that in four chapters later from now, how God is going to punish the house of Abimelech. And we're going to read this verse in Genesis 20, verse 18. For the Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So what Sarah said about God restraining her for bearing was absolutely true. But it was Sarah's unspoken opinion that was wrong because Sarah was really saying, God was restraining me from something good. And that was the terrible step that led to all this disaster in Genesis chapter 16. And we've all been there where we see clearly that God has restrained us from something that we want and we think it would be good for us to have it. And so we conclude that God has restrained us from good. And therefore, sometimes we go ahead with our own plan to solve the problem God caused. Sometimes we go ahead to remove God's restraint and get it ourselves, and it results in a disaster. And this is what Sarah did. Where did Sarah go wrong? By concluding that God was restraining Sarah from good. How are we not to go down the same road that Sarah went down and fall into the same trap? And the answer is by firmly fixing two verses in our minds, which are found, and please turn to this, in Psalm 84, verses 11 and 12. Psalm 84, verses 11 and 12. If you turn to that, please. Psalm 84, verses 11 and 12. This is a very, very important verses here. These are very important verses and something that we really need to grab a hold of to not fall into this very typical trap that Sarah did in Genesis 16. It says in Psalm 84, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. So what we see in verse 11 is that we are first told what the Lord is doing, what he is doing, and what he is doing is told to us in these words. The Lord is a sun and shield. 
Sometimes we need a sun, sometimes we need a shield. And at the right time when we need the sun or something to be given to us, then what happens? At those times, God will be the sun for us. He'll be the one who gives us, like the sun gives, rays so that the plants can grow or bana, be built up. But also, there are times when we need the shield, we need the protection to be protected from receiving something that is really not good for us. And at those times, God will be the shield for us, and he will be the one who, like a shield, protects us from receiving what would harm us. You know, it's just like my wife right now, Cheryl. She's growing. She's always growing something. She loves to grow. She, she, I married a wife from Ohio, and people from Ohio have gardens, you know. So anyway, so I, I, it's very interesting for me to watch her out there. She's growing. Right now, she's growing romaine lettuce because that's what they had at Home Depot, and so she bought the romaine lettuce. And she's planted those little lettuce plants in the raised bed in the backyard. You know, because now we're still having some pretty hot days, she put together this frame, this kind of metal tube frame, over the raised beds there, and then she went down and she bought some shade cloth. And every morning, what she does is she looks at the weather report, and she makes the decision she's going to go out and either leave the shade cloth off for the day so the tender plants can get the sun and grow, or she makes this decision to put the shade cloth on over the plants so they don't get burned up. And I watch her from the window. It's very entertaining. (laughs) But my wife makes the decision for sun or shield for those plants. She makes her decision for sun or shield based on what will be good for those little lettuce plants there. Now, let's imagine that Cheryl made this decision that the sun was going to be too hot for the day, and so she puts up the shade cloth in the morning, and she leaves, and there's one little lettuce plant that says to the other lettuce plants, and this little lettuce plant says to the other plants, Behold now, our Lord hath restrained us from growing. I pray thee, take down this shade cloth, you know? And then all the little lettuce plants get together and they take down the protecting shade cloth. And then what happens? They all get killed by the hot sun. Okay, so please write that in Aesop's Fables and then I'll be famous. Anyway, because when the time was right for Sarah to have the son to build her family with a child, God was the son for Sarah. And God, like the son, enabled Sarah to build or banah her family by making Sarah give birth to Isaac. But when the time was right for Sarah to be protected from having a baby, God was the shield for Sarah, and he restrained her from having a baby. See, God was the shield for Sarah, and as a shield, it was true what Sarah said. Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. But notice in verse 11 here, for we're looking here in Psalm 84, where it says, the Lord will give grace and glory. So for those times when God is a shield to us, and we with Sarah find it hard to not get what we want, for those times we have a promise in verse 11, the Lord will give grace and glory. During those times when we don't get what we want, God gives us grace. He gives us grace to bear it. 
and he'll show us his glory. What glory is that? The Shekinah glory, the glory of his abiding, the glory of his presence, the Shekinah glory. And it's during those times when God is shielding us from what we want that we're really in the pressure cooker and he's holding us back from what we want. And we say with Sarah, the Lord hath restrained me. And we can just feel when she says that word restrained, we can feel that word. That's a graphic word, restraint. You know, it's a, we are so much wanting it. We can taste it. We're chomping at the bit. We're pushing against the bridle. That's the restraint. See, the Lord is restraining us. He's holding us back. And that's the time when we'll go to God with a broken heart and we'll experience what he calls the glory, his glory, the presence of God, his glory. For those times when God is a shield to us, the Lord will give grace and glory. Psalm 84, 11. There's one principle that God wants us to have firmly fixed in our minds, and it's the next part of verse 11, where it says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. When we want something really bad, and the Lord is being a shield to us from that thing, when the Lord is standing between us and what we want, When we're crying out with Sarah, behold now, the Lord hath restrained me. There's one little word, one little word that we would like to remove from verse 11. And we want her to read like this. No thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly, right? We don't like that word good in there because we wanted to remove that. We would like to have our own translation of the Bible and we'll take that out because we want everything we want. But that's a very important word, good. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Sometimes a sun, sometimes a shield, but always no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Sometimes a sun, sometimes a shield, but never no thing will he uphold from them that walk uprightly. Sometimes a sun, sometimes a shield, but always no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. And who's going to be happy? Who's going to be happy through this? Who's going to be the happy person when God's a shield? When God is in the words of Sarah, behold now the Lord hath restrained me. Who's going to be happy in that? The person that's described in verse 12 of Psalm 84, Psalm 84, 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. That's the happy man when God is a shield. Blessed or happy is the man that trusteth in thee. See, the happy man is the person who keeps the word good in that previous verse. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Now, did Sarah trust in God in chapter 16? No. Was Sarah happy? Was she a happy camper when she said, behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing? No. Why not? Because she wasn't trusting God. Sarah was not described as 84, uh, Psalm 84, 12, blessed is the man that trusts in thee. And so what we see here is this terrible disaster. Now, we've all been there. We've all been there. So before we jump on Sarah and say, how can you do such a thing? We've all done that. I remember back in 1982, that's a long time ago. Many of you didn't know that I was born then, before then, but I was. <laughs> But I remember in 1982 how at Scantibodies we had large orders at that time for human serum. And in order to make the large orders of human serum, we needed large amounts of human plasma. 
And where did the human plasma come from? Well, one of the places is the good old American Red Cross. And for a year, I worked really hard to get one-year contracts from American Red Cross in San Diego. I know you may don't know. There used to be an American Red Cross in San Diego. It wasn't all San Diego blood bank. Anyway, I'd worked really hard to get the one-year contract from the American Red Cross of San Diego and the American Red Cross of Chicago. And I remember when those Red Cross units told me that I was not accepted that I did not get those contracts. And I was shocked. And it really hit me hard. And I felt like Sarah did. Behold, the Lord hath restrained me. And I didn't know it. But at that time, we were in the process of becoming deeply overextended. And it turned out that we didn't need all that plasma from the American Red Cross of San Diego and Chicago. It turned out that the plasma from those American Red Cross here and in Chicago was way more than we needed. And with the obligation to pay for those contracts month by month for that plasma we didn't need, it would have killed us. And so instead, I found plasma in smaller amounts for half the price. It's half the price that perfectly matched our need. Now, what happened? The Lord was a shield to me from those contracts. Those contracts were not a good thing for me then. So no good thing will he withhold from them that walk up uprightly. But the no good things he did withhold. Now, we've been studying the person of Hagar, and we all know that Hagar was, she was an Egyptian. She was a Gentile. She wasn't a Hebrew. And when we've looked at the life of Hagar, what we've seen in her life is one mercy after another. We followed Abraham's caravan, which is like the tabernacle. It was really like the tabernacle as it moved through the desert. And God had called Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees, and Abraham obeyed God. And God was with Abraham as he moved in the desert from place to place, from Ur to Haran to Canaan to Egypt and back. And wherever Abraham's caravan went and he encountered people, those people encountered God. And because Abraham was an ambassador for God, just like we're ambassadors for God, where it says that in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20, to wit or to witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins unto them, committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's Abraham. Abraham was an ambassador for Jehovah Jesus as he traveled from people to people. And there's one very important truth that God said about Abraham. Very important. And please turn to that in Genesis 18. We're going to come to it, but we're going to look at it now because here God is speaking about Abraham and he's saying something about him that's very important and it's true. It was true then and it's true now in, in our passage here in Genesis 16, 17. Here we are. And what this is is in Genesis 18, 17 through 19 where the Lord speaking to Abraham says these things. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? So here we can see God. He's having a conversation amongst the Godhead. He's asking a question. We're discussing it. Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I do? And then he says in verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then he says in verse 19, for I know him. God said, I know Abraham, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep 
the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. So God says about Abraham, I know Abraham, I know him. What did God know about Abraham? He says that Abraham would command. That is the word that he used. It's a very strong word, command. It's sava in Hebrew, sava. And sava is the same word that God used in Genesis 2, 16 through 17 in that passage we covered where it says, and the Lord commanded, sava, the Lord commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Very strong word, sava, commanded. So, in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God commanded Adam, commanded Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave him a warning. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now that was in Genesis 2, 16 through 17. Then four verses later, after Genesis 2, 17, Four verses later, after God had commanded Adam to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did God do? He created Eve. So in Genesis 2, 21 through 22, we read, after God commanded Adam, and the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh. Instead, there a rib which he made, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, and then he brought her unto the man. There's no record. There's no record of God commanding Eve directly. There's no record of God commanding or tzavah, Eve, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good evil with the warning that in the day that she ate thereof, that she would surely die. See, God commanded tzavah, Adam, to not eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil with the warning in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Then God expected Adam to command, or tzavah, Eve, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to pass on God's warning to her in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God did not say about Adam what he said about Abraham. He didn't say that about Adam. God did not say about Adam, for I know him that he will command, tzavah, Eve after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment the Lord may bring upon Adam, that which he has spoken of him. See, but God did say that about Abraham. And it's very important when he said that in verse 19, Genesis 18, 19, for I know him that he will command, sabah, his children and his household after him, they'll keep the way of the Lord to do judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which is spoken of him. And Abraham did not just command, sabah, his children, but the verse says Abraham also commanded, sabah, his household after him. That meant that Abraham made sure that all the folks in his caravan that were following Abraham to keep the way of the Lord. That meant that Abraham set his caravan in order to follow God. That's another meaning of the word tzavah, to order. God said in several places, put your house in order, you're gonna die. That's the word tzavah also. That meant that all anyone had to do was to look at Abraham's life and how he ordered his family and his caravan, and they would see what it does it mean to keep the way of the Lord. What does it mean to lead a caravan spiritually? They would see Abraham leading his caravan to keep the way of the Lord by worshiping 
Jehovah Jesus. And when Abraham spoke of God, they would see a man who believed that Jehovah Jesus is the God of gods and Lord of lords, showing the truth of Deuteronomy 10, 17, where it says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, mighty, terrible. They would see Abraham leading his caravan to keep the way of the Lord by when they saw him praying to Jehovah Jesus when they had needs, when he had needs. And they would understand the truth of Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, very present help in time of trouble. And Abraham had plenty of trouble. And so they would understand that they would see a life, a living life example of Hebrews 4, 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. They would see Abraham. They would see him leading his caravan to keep the way of the Lord by giving thanks to Jehovah Jesus. And they would understand the truth of Psalm 136 too. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods for his mercy endureth forever. And when Abraham met that godly person, Melchizedek, and they all watched Abraham do what we've seen in Genesis 14, 20, and he gave him tithes of all, when everyone in Abraham's caravan saw Abraham honor God by giving a tenth to Melchizedek, they all would say, yep, that's Abraham. That's my leader. Exactly what I expected of him. That's Abraham. And they would see Abraham leading his caravan to keep the way of the Lord by honoring Jehovah Jesus with a life that's holy and true and avoiding any appearance of evil. And especially everyone in the caravan, you can imagine, crowded around and watched as Abraham refused to take any wealth that originated with the king of Sodom in his wicked ways. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.